hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You kind of just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're gonna make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams, and I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new, real-life stories of hope and triumph, told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... Uh, Jimmy Kelly. My sobriety date is March 12th, 2015. I was born and raised in a small town. Um, didn't really have any deficiencies um, other than my dad was an alcoholic when I was growing up. Uh, played sports for school, played high school sports, uh, joined the fire department when I was 16. Life was good other than... Uh, you know, we had the alcoholic father who was an enabler. Um, mom would say, no, can't do this. Dad would be drunk and, sure, got on my face, bring me another beer. But other than that, things were great. Did great in high school. Took my first drink when I was probably 14, maybe, I was probably eight. I was splitting wood with my dad, and I, they had some, uh, of all things, peach schnapps. And, uh, it was a, Cold winter day, just warm myself up. And I just remember when I, I couldn't wait to turn 21 so I could buy peach knives of all things. Um, basically, like I said, I played sports all the way up. Uh, I played uh, speed baseball. Um, I tried smoking marijuana with my uh, family, my brother. Before I went into high school, I guess that was the cool thing to do back then. Um, they were setting me up for high school, and I kind of liked it. Kept going through high school. My freshman year, I failed every subject other than uh, my two electives, playing catch-up. I uh, would stay up all hours trying to get high, smoking marijuana. I didn't think you could ever get addicted to marijuana, but uh, pretty much I'd wake up in the middle of the night just to put myself back to sleep, smoking at 17 or so. I had a part-time job was under the table. Basically, I uh, dabbled in uh, crystal meth for the first time. Um, I guess it was, looking back now, the addictive personality. Um, I did that for a whole summer, barely sleeping. Um, just totally wore out, strung out. I finally got off of that, went back to smoking marijuana. Age 20, I found out that the girl that I was dating at the time was pregnant. And we were going to have a child together, fresh out of high school, kind of scary event. When she was pregnant, we were up and down, um, basically didn't stay together. I tried doing everything I could to support her, and it didn't work out. So I went to the whole court battle thing with that, and uh, basically the judge gave me the option. She used uh, smoke marijuana against me in court. And, so he gave me an option so you can see your kid and or you can't see your kid, whichever one you choose, but you're going to stop smoking weed. So I had to get three passing drug tests to the court system before I could see my kid. It's kind of a situation that you don't want to be in at 21 years old. Um, so finally I ended up, it took six months, 
seven months for it to get out of my system. Finally, I was able to see my child for the first time when he was only a year old. I stayed clean. I became a career firefighter uh, on the East Coast uh, when I was 24. I got hired on uh, November 29th of 2004. Yeah, life was good. I was living the, the dream fourth-generation firefighter. Life was good. I couldn't complain about anything. Like, just... I started dating a girl. We were together for four years. I asked her to marry me. We got engaged. And then next thing you know, things fell apart. Um, and that's where I was off to the races again. I began to uh, isolate. I didn't date anybody for almost four years after me and her. I was on a downhill spiral. I was avoiding my family, friends, never did any events. We went, <clears throat> a bunch of friends went to Baltimore one night. And we found a place that, we had heard that he could pick up some, which turned out to be my drug of choice. In the end, uh, cocaine. We picked up uh, a couple of eight balls for three or four of us. Went bar hopping. <laughs> that night, I dropped five hundred dollars. And come the night of come midnight, I was back in the same bar getting two more eight balls to make it through the night. And that was where it all began. Like it just, it was a weekend trip for us. And their weekend trip ended, and mine was just beginning because I just couldn't put it down. I loved it. I loved the feeling. It did everything that I had felt. You know, and, then, and I didn't know that I had all these uh, hidden issues until uh, I got the chance to go to the American Addiction Center. Um, that, you know, I... Uh, I don't blame anything on PTSD. I don't blame anything on, you know, the fire service in general. I just I have an addictive personality, I guess. And uh, probably two A-balls every day. Um, I was fortunate enough to have the kind of money to do that with my job. And about two years into it, I was at rock bottom, bankrupt. And I begged my parents for forgiveness. I told them that I was addicted to cocaine. They bailed me out. I was behind on bills. Um, they bailed me out. And uh, that was just the kind of family I had. You know, they gave me the money to uh, get caught back up on bills as long as I promised to stop. And full costume, my son. I had the greatest job on earth. You know, I had a, a very supportive family. And I paid my debt off. And lo and behold, back to the races I went. Um, I basically had a direct line to my connect. And that was the worst thing ever. It was like for an alcoholic having a 7-Eleven 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I could go there any time. And um, that was the way it was. I would go there at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when I was out and re-up. And I would find myself on the way to work knowing that we do random drug tests at work. Going, you got to, you know, you got to stop. You, know, you could get drug tested today. And next thing you know, I'd find myself calling out sick because um, I couldn't put it down. Um, you know, as a drug addict, you look back at things. The reason I picked cocaine was because the shelf life in your system is supposed to be three days. I work a day, I'm off for three. So I was thinking, oh, this is perfect. You know, I could get high on my three days off and go back and pass a drug test and everything would be fine. And that third day, I couldn't put it back down. Uh, I'd find myself using that work. Uh, rock bottom for me. I could not put it down. I had to have it with me all the time. 
I used to call it like my visa card. I'd never leave home without it. You know, we scheduled drug tests at work, and, and that's when I knew I had a problem. I, I quit for a week. I told myself I had to quit for a week to pass this annual physical. And the day before my annual physical, I actually had, I picked up and used again. And that's absurd. You know, that, that's the insanity that we go through as addicts. Um, basically, it took an event that, uh, that pretty much I found out bothered me a lot when I went to rehab. Uh, so, you know, I, I was at the firehouse one day, and um, I was just as high as all get out. And, uh, you know, I had actually done a line of cocaine right before we went on a, a run. And uh, uh, an emergency call, and uh, you know, I'm going down the road, and it was just a routine call we got put in service for. Uh, we were heading back to the firehouse, and they put out a house fire. And uh, off to the races we went. I read the notes, and I was like, hey, it's an electrical fire. You know, traditionally, there's just a run of the mill call where you go to the power or whatever. So I'm like, hey, man, take it easy. We're going down some country back roads. And, uh, we, uh, we were going down the road and, you know, uh, it's less than two miles from my house. And, uh, you know, the car just come up the hill on the wrong side of the road, ran us off the road, uh, and, and we're, we're fighting it going down the, this hillside. And, uh, I looked at the guy that was driving. I'm like, Hey man, you got it. And he's like, yeah, 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 I got it. Well, um, as we're approaching the bottom of the hill where he could have straightened it out, a car was coming. And I told him, either put it in the ditch. I said, you're going to kill her if you hit her. Put it in the ditch. And uh, that's what we did. We, we put it in the ditch. And uh, ultimately, when we put it in the ditch, uh, the fire truck rolled over right in front of this lady who uh, <laughs> turned out to be uh, our saving grace because she remembered the car and everything and that helped you know us from getting you know not per se in trouble i mean we rolled a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar fire truck but you know we we didn't hit her kill her there was very minimal damage to the crew uh, injury wise but I, I just remember getting out and it was the worst thing ever when i looked back where we were laying at was, was where um kids that i went to school with uh they were coming back from a wedding and uh the driver had been drinking, and uh, I lost three of my best friends that I truly grew up with, spent the weekend with every night. And here I was, you know, 15, 20 years later, sideways in a fire truck, upside down, in the memorial site where they, you know, you know, and I'm high as a kite, and and, and couldn't do anything except for think, wow, you are. You're pretty bad off, you know. When you know, I I sat there and cried because I could not. I begged my crew to go to the, to the hospital, and I could not go take care of myself because I knew I was going to fail a drug test because I was high at the time. You know, um, I couldn't go to the hospital and be with my guys. I, I couldn't. I failed as a company officer. You know. Uh, um, that's when you're supposed to be the supporting member. You know, you're supposed to be able to make decisions for them. I made a decision and said, hey, y'all go in the hospital. You know, you need to go get checked out. And I'm like, hey, you need to go with us, man. You know, and, and I could 
you know, because I knew that ultimately they were going to drug test all of us, and, you know, I would be in my demise. You know, I would be, I was doing the right thing, going to the hospital, taking care of my guys, but in the end, I would be, my career would be over with, you know, I would be, yeah, I was at the volunteer house, yeah, but you fail a drug test there, it gets up to, you know, to where you work at, next thing you know, everybody in the world knows you're a drug addict, and boom, you know, things spiral out of control. It just hit me. So, yeah, that stuck in my mind for a while, you know, that, hey, you're screwing your life up majorly. I went back to using real bad after that uh, to the point of there was no return. Um, I was staying in hotel rooms for a week at a time, telling everybody I was working overtime. I wasn't even going to work. I was calling out sick, taking off, coming home, going back to the hotel. It took a friend of mine, good old Facebook, um, he was on his way to work one night and we used text messaging in our volunteer firehouses, you know, uh, to, for staffing and he sent a staffing page and I said, I'm at home with my son. And about 10 minutes later, he checked up and he said, according to Facebook, you're about a quarter mile down the street from where I'm at. He didn't know what he was talking about. Well, lo and behold, <laughs> he said, meet me at, uh, the convenience store down the street. I know where you're at. To me, I figured, let's see care to reach out to me and want to talk, I'd give him the time to talk and uh, I met him. That was the beginning of where my world started to turn around. Uh, for the first time in my life I'd heard that someone actually cared about you know what I was doing. He reiterated, he's a farmer himself, how much you know, we get the greatest job on earth while we compromise I had full custody of my son and just everything he said for once just clicked. Like, what are you doing? At that point, he basically said, I'll do all the leg work for you. He said, I just want to see you get clean. And for somebody that you have brought up, thought it was like a son to you, for him to tell you that, and you're standing there hopeless, you can't turn it down. And uh, he called my union. He got all the information for me. Um, and I was at work that Saturday, and that's when I finally gave up and uh, made the phone call to uh, American Addiction Center. You know, like I said, it was very quick. It was one of those things where they said, hey, send us this, this, and this, and uh, we'll have you out here in a hot second. And I was like, okay, well, I have to tell my family that I'm going. And basically, I had two days. And uh, I had to break the news to my family that I was still using, which they had no idea. I had to tell my son that I was going to get help. I later found out that he knew that I was, uh, he had found my, my stash two or three times and had taken pictures and asked people what it was with razor blades and straws and cocaine sitting there in front of him. You know, it's not good for your son to see at 14 years old. So the supportive family that I have, I don't fly. <laughs> and, uh, um, I came home from work told my family what had to happen, and uh, my brother rented a car and actually drove me from Virginia to Texas because I don't get on airplanes. And he turned around, uh, I checked myself in the American Victor Center in Texas, the greenhouse. Um, when I walked in the door, I was like a little baby crying and didn't want to you know, leave the family. This was the first time I was ever going to be away from my son for 30 days. I had tested with him and the hardest part was based on reality that you know you're helpless 
it's going to take somebody else to fix you. And uh, that's what it took. I mean, I uh, while I was there, I learned so much about myself. You know, the the part where I would break down in tears in therapy. You know, about the accident we had on the fire truck. You know, uh, you know, they figured out that that was one of my underlying issues. You know, that I just used it to to make up for it. Um, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. You know, I had I chose I didn't drink much. Uh, hardly ever drank. Being a fireman, everybody says, "Oh, you're a drinker." You know, blah blah. No, I never. You know, you can't associate that with firemen because not all firemen drink. You know, not all firemen have issues. They have a, it's just, there's me. That was my personality. I'm very addictive and, uh, could not fail. I went to every class that they had available. I did every bit of workbook that they had available, all the studies. Um, the speaker meetings were, uh, amazing to me. Um, you know, everybody talks about, you know, you hear sponsorship, you hear, um, you know, you have to find a power grade yourself to get, you know, sober. Uh, I, I totally agree with it. I mean, I know that I could not put down cocaine at all. You know, I, I take anxiety medication, a benzo and, uh, you know, I should be dead. I, I've done research that if you do cocaine and benzos together, it's like speedballing, and you should be dead. And I, I don't abuse my medication, but that's just a fact of life. That you know, and that's why nobody ever knew because most people that are on cocaine are high strung, running around doing whatever, and the benzo mellowed me out and kept me straight for I could talk to you like I was your best friend, and you would never even know that I was high. But I should be dead. You know, I sat in hotel rooms, isolated take my medication, do the cocaine, and um, it took to go to rehab to figure out that, yeah, you should be dead. You're a lucky soul, you know. And uh, when I was there, I never really indulged in church. I never really did the whole God thing. And uh, I met a girl that was pretty spiritual in there. And it happened to be that, you know, when I went to treatment, it was uh, during Easter. And uh, I was like, you know what? Here I am, I guess I was 34 when I went to rehab, 34 years old. I never knew the true meaning of Easter. So I asked her to teach me about it. And uh, that weekend we went to church, and it was almost like I felt for the first time, I was like, wow, like the preacher's talking directly to me. It was about addiction that weekend, you know, or, and they keep talking directly at me and you know, I went back to the center and I was talking to people and they're like, No, for the first time you actually heard what makes a difference in your life, you know, like he wasn't speaking to you directly, it was just something that you picked up on that made sense to you. And it's kinda of scary. I was like, Wow, you know, this is God speaking to me for the first time and uh later I not know, you know, I look at it as you know, God's always been there for you. I just chose you know, the foxhole prayer, you know, God, please help me, you know, take this addiction away from me. So I finally prayed one day, and uh, <sighs> that weekend of uh, Easter, 
2015, I prayed for God to take the addiction and the desire for me to use. Thank you for listening to part one of this far from finished story. Don't forget to come back to hear the rest in part two of this real life experience in recovery.